Morning, Grace Gospel Church. It's, no, it's so nice to see all of you. You know, th this music this morning, I, I don't know about, about you, but it was so, so impactful. And as our brother Gilson read to us, you know, Abraham coming back from a victory, the victory that he had, we have a similar victory. What is, what is the victory that we have that has overcome the world? Our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, <laughs> that music made it so clear. You know, I, I, I've preached at, uh, as guest speaker at about uh, 11 different churches uh, in Connecticut, California. I visited other churches. When I was in the military, I was... I, I bunked at a Christian serviceman center, and every Sunday they'd go to a different church uh, that supported that ministry. I will tell you, in my experience, there is only one church whose Sunday music compares to Grace Gospel, but they have a 60-piece symphony orchestra and an 80-voice choir, and it's fantastic music. Don't get me wrong. But seven people up here leading us in true worship before the Lord. Every one of those songs, the lyrics, you will find a verse or passage of Scripture that will express the truth in every single phrase. This is the kind of music that our brother Paul DeMano selects, things with deep spiritual, theological, and devotional content. And then uh, beautiful music and melody to go along with it. And so today as we look at the scriptures, we're going to just review the victory that Abraham had last, that we saw last week in the passage of scripture. And then we're going to move on. This was a two-part series of messages. Chapter 14 of Genesis is about warfare and worship in the life of the faithful. This is the second part. Last week we looked at the faithful at war. This week we're going to look at the faithful in worship. Just to review warfare in the life of the faithful, we saw in the first 16 verses God was revealed in the following way, that God in his sovereign plan allows warfare to enter the life of the believer. He has control over it. He doesn't have to let it happen. But God's plan is perfect. Perfect means it cannot be improved upon. It lacks nothing. It falls short of nothing. Yet God in his infinite wisdom, grace, mercy, and love allows warfare to enter the life of the believer. Look, he didn't spare his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, from spiritual warfare in his life. It was there for a purpose. Some of it we read from Hebrews this morning that we have a high priest who can sympathize with us in our weaknesses because he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. So God allows warfare to enter your life and mine. We
little help. Thank you. The one thing to take away from last week's message, just by way of reminder, is God will give you the victory in spiritual warfare if you are, if you are faithful. This week, we're going to look at the faithful in worship. The title of the message, if you like titles, is Worship in the Life of the Faithful. The Lord is revealed in the second part of Genesis chapter 14 as the reason, God is revealed as the reason for all of the success in the life of the believer, in the life of the faithful. He is the reason for all of your success, all of my success. There is no success as a believer in Christ that you and I have that God is not the reason for. It's not because we're smarter. It's not because we're better. It's not because we're more righteous or more holy. What did Paul tell the Corinthians? There are not many wise amongst you, not many mighty, not many noble. Hey, I resemble that comment. I'm perfectly qualified to serve the Lord. Because I'm not wise in myself, I'm not mighty in myself, and I'm not noble in myself. And the same goes for every one of you. God is the reason for all the success in the life of the believer. If you accomplish anything for Jesus Christ, it is because of God. The one thing to take away from today's message is that God is to be always acknowledged for his blessings and given all the glory. Never take any glory for yourself. Give all the glory to him. We're going to look at these verses, 17 to 24, under two main headings. The background of the worship that we're going to see, and then the believer in that worship. That'll focus on Abraham and Melchizedek. So let's begin by looking at the background. What surrounds the worship that we begin reading about in verse 18 and then we see in some of the later verses. We're going to see that worship should always be a priority in the life of the faithful. After his re return from the defeat of Kedorla Omer and the kings who were with him, this is after, right after, as he's returning with the prisoners that he freed, and all the food and the possessions and the goods and the wealth that were stolen, right after his return of the defeat of the four wicked kings, he had the victory. God gave him that victory. He went out with 318 men against the armies of four kings. How many there were, we're not told. But we know that God wins the victory by few. He doesn't need many. All you have to do is look at Gideon and Judges. 300 is what he went to battle with against a far, far superior force because the Lord gives the victory. Worship should be the priority. He didn't come back after the defeat and start telling everybody what an incredible battle it was and how they routed the enemy. No, he's going to go right to worship. He's not going to boast. He's not going to brag. He's not going to take a nap. I'm sure he was tired. He's not going to rest on his laurels. 
like sometimes Christians do. They talk about the victories they had five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. God wants to give every one of us victories, spiritual victories over the enemy, Satan, and our sin every day as we walk with him and are faithful to him. Worship should always be the priority. But what we find out is that the wicked are never far from true worship. After his return from the defeat of Kedor Laomer and the kings who were with him, Barah, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him. Notice what happens. He returns even before Melchizedek in verse 18 can come out and greet Abraham. Who's coming out? It's a wicked king, the king of Sodom. And we know what happens to that city later on. God is going to destroy that city in a few chapters because of their wickedness. The wicked are never far from worship. Jesus Christ told a parable about the wheat and the tares. They grow up together in this age. And not until the harvest, when Christ comes, are the wheat and the tares separated. The wicked are never far from worship. Keep that in mind. Even as we gather together, there are spiritual forces in high places that would oppose your praise and worship of your God and King, Jesus Christ. The wicked have wrong motives. The king of Sodom went out to meet him. And we're going to see in the words that follow that the motives of the wicked are wrong. The believer's motives are to give all the glory to God like we sang. But the wicked go out with the wrong motives. They never have the right motives. Their motives are always self-serving. The wicked want to benefit from God's victory. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. Boy, Satan would love to get Christians focused in this exact way looking at material possessions and forgetting about the eternal souls of the lost. Give the people to me, Satan wants. But take the goods for yourself. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? People are more important than things. The wicked want to benefit in some way from God's victory. Be on the lookout for that, brothers and sisters. This is the background of the worship. Now let's look at all the beautiful details that come out of the wording of the text. I hope you'll see that each thing we point out, we find that idea in the exact words of the text. Take a look at what true worship is like in Scripture, illustrated for us through Abraham and Melchizedek. True worshipers always have God in mind. When God is not first and foremost in your mind, you are not worshiping. You might be enjoying yourself in some way 
as a believer in Christ. You might even be enjoying the music. But if it's purely emotional, if, if God is not on your mind, if there's not in a moment of pause a thank you, Lord, or however it comes out of your heart, if God is not on your mind, if your mind is wandering, it's not true worship. And Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high. He didn't say I've purposed within myself. He said I have sworn to the Lord God most high. This is what, is what he did after the victory. The first thing he did was he swore an oath to the Lord God. Even after a victory, even after the relief, the joy of winning this battle, God is on Abraham's mind. The victory was not first and foremost in his mind. The spoils of victory wasn't first and foremost in his mind. The rescue of his nephew Lot, his blood relative and their families, was not first and foremost in his mind. It was God. I have sworn to the Lord God Most High. True worshipers acknowledge God's part. Abram said, I have sworn to the Lord God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. What does possessor mean? God owns everything. God owned that victory. God owned Abraham. God owned Lot. God owned the, the four wicked kings and their armies. God owned everything that they took away as spoils of their victory. God possesses heaven and earth and everything in it. He is the owner of. As owner, he has a right to do, brothers and sisters, with your life and mine, whatever he chooses to do. We have willingly repented of our sin, turned from our sin, turned to Christ and cried out for salvation and bowed the knee and the heart and mind before him and called him Lord of all. And if you're here this morning and you are not a Christ follower, not a believer in Christ, he owns you too. He is your creator as much as he is the believer, and he has bestowed grace on every one of you. Jesus Christ taught it in the Sermon on the Mount. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Whether you know it or not, you owe him a great debt. He is your possessor as well. And he will be the judge of all. While there is yet time, turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. Turn from your sins, turn to Christ and cry out to him, and he will save you. That's what he did on the cross. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. He bore the sins of the world to provide salvation for all who would cry out to him. To be saved. God is sovereign, the Psalms told us. He will rule. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. You get the picture there? The king on his throne resting his feet on the back of the defeated. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter. 
the, the, the king's scepter, the symbol of his, of his kingship, his rule, his authority, his right to rule. He will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Not just in the midst of your friends, but in the midst of your enemies. His enemies will be powerless against him when Christ returns to set up his kingdom on this earth. God is sovereign and he will be victorious. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He is at the right hand of Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will shatter kings. They're nothing to him. The way you crumble a potato chip, the armies of the world will crumble before him. He brought everything we know in the heavens and the earth into existence with a word, with a thought. God spoke and the universe came into existence. A God who can do that? What are the armies of the earth compared to him? He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. Turn from your sin and repent before you are amongst those that will be shattered by Jesus Christ when he comes to reign and rule over this earth. True worshipers will always refuse evil's participation in the victory. The battle belongs unto the Lord. The victory belongs unto the Lord. It does not belong to evil. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God, most high possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take even a thread. He's talking about a... You've seen sewing thread? I won't even take a thread or even a sandal thong or anything that is yours. He refuses any participation. He does not want anything that belongs to evil that belonged rightfully to the king of Sodom that God had bestowed and allowed even that evil king to possess. He doesn't want anything that the king of Sodom could say, that's mine, but you can have it. Why? True worshipers want all the glory to go to God. I will not take anything that is yours. Why? For fear you would say, I have made Abram rich. Abram was totally separate from the evil of the world. He wouldn't join forces with the king of Sodom, this wicked king. He didn't want to be associated with with him. He didn't want help from him. God was his helper. The same ought to be true of the believer in Christ. Our hope is in the Lord God. Our victory is in God. It's not in joining forces with the world in whatever way that might look depending on the circumstance. The New Testament is clear about this as well. Don't be yoked together, believer with unbeliever. That's not just talking about marriage. That's talking about any alliance. For what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ and the devil? None, none whatsoever. Abraham understood this. New Testament concept that Paul expresses in 2 Corinthians 6, not to be yoked 
together, not to be bound together like two oxen under one yoke, trying to pull together because the believer should never pull in the same direction as the world, and the world does not want to pull in the direction that the believer in Christ wants to pull in, wants to go in. You're going in two different directions, you as a believer in Christ and the world. True worshipers will not deny others a participation, other true believers a participation in the victory. I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten that went along to fight with Abraham against the four wicked kings and rescue all those that Abraham would bring back. I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let them take their share. Abraham didn't say, it's all mine. Without me, there'd be no victory. God is the one who called me. That was not Abraham. He didn't jealously guard his position. He allowed others who were faithful and who were used by God in the victory to share in that victory and the spoils of victory. Brothers and sisters, if you serve the Lord Jesus Christ in some capacity, and you should, the Holy Spirit has given you spiritual gifts to serve in the local church. You should be serving in some way. doesn't necessarily mean every Sunday or every single week, but there should be some form of service for Jesus Christ, for the local church, for your brothers and sisters, towards believers, towards the unsaved. The scripture says, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, but especially to those who are of the household of the faith, your fellow believers in Jesus Christ. If you are involved in a ministry, if you head a ministry, if you stand up here and preach or minister in some way, the Lord God gave you that ministry. He put you in that position. You don't need to jealously guard it. When the Lord brings someone through the door or raises up someone from within who should take my place, I'm not going to guard this position. The Lord just has someplace else for me to serve or to serve in another way. We never have to guard our position. Do you remember when Moses was not right in the camp and Joshua comes running to him? Moses, Moses, master, master, there are men prophesying in the camp and they're not with you. They're not like under you. They are prophesying on their own. Joshua's concern for Moses, his mentor, his, his leader, the man he looked to. And he said to Moses, they're doing it, but they're not like under you. They're doing it on their own authority. Stop them. What did Moses say to Joshua? 
were that all the Lord's people were prophets, were that all the Lord's people were teachers of God's word, were they all servants, were all the Lord's people spiritually mature to be elders in the local church. There is no spiritual jealousy. There's no place for it. Every believer here should share in the victory in one form or another. No one here needs to jealously guard their position. If the Lord wants to move any one of us out, wants to put any of us down lower, that's his right to do that. If he wants to raise someone else up and exalt them above us, that's his right to do that. Never deny others out of jealousy or fear that your value in the local church or as a Christian will be diminished. That's up to God to decide that. What role we play at any point in time in our Christian life. True worshipers always want to participate in worship. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He wanted to participate in it. He is a true believer. He's not like the king of Sodom. He is the king of Salem. Not the king of Sodom, the king of Salem. The Hebrew word there for Salem is a form of the Hebrew word shalom. He is the king of peace. His name means, my king is righteous. My king is righteous. That's what Melchizedek means in Hebrew. It's made of two words, my king or my king in that particular form and righteous. My king is righteous. Names were very important to the Jews. People lived up or down to the meaning of their names throughout Scripture. It's not a coincidence. It's found just so many times. My king is righteous, and he is the king of peace. Boy, no wonder Hebrews, all those verses our brother Gilson read for us and the verses we read together over and over from the Psalms and from Hebrews, Jesus Christ the Prince of Peace, the King of Peace, the Righteous One who always did those things that pleased the Father. He is the King of Righteousness, the true King of Righteousness. Everything in this passage about Melchizedek, according to Psalm 110 and Hebrews, points to Jesus Christ. We see in seed form, in Genesis 14, in Melchizedek, the historical Melchizedek, we see a picture of Jesus Christ. He's the righteous king. He is the king of peace. Christ gave peace to all those who trust in his gospel message, his good news of what he accomplished on the cross. Here is the character of true worship. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, he was a priest of God Most High. This is the character, righteousness. 
is associated with true worship. You cannot be a true worshiper of Jesus Christ if you do not have righteousness, a right standing through faith in Jesus Christ and a right conduct or behavior of life, obedience to Jesus Christ, a practical righteousness through the indwelling Holy Spirit living a obedient, righteous life that is pleasing to God and Christ. The character of true worship is that of a priest. A priest in the Old Testament and in the law of Moses offered up animal sacrifices that pictured different aspects of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. You and I, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, we are priests to our God. Every believer in Christ is a priest, according to Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2. You can read it, verses 5 through 9. You are a priest. A priest doesn't wear special clothes. A priest isn't the only one who officiates at the Lord's Supper or who can offer worship to God. In the New Testament, the sacrifices of the believer are the fruit of lips, Paul writes, that give thanks to his name. We don't sacrifice animals. We offer up a sacrifice of praise. The focus of true worship was God most high. He was not a priest of Salem. He was not a priest of anything else. Melchizedek was a priest of God most high. This is the focus of true worship. He didn't offer sacrifices to anyone else, but to God most high. In fact, recall I passed over it, but he brought out of all things bread and wine. What does that remind you of? What did we partake of this morning? The Lord's Supper. Jesus Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then after the bread, he took the cup, and after blessing it, giving thanks, he passed it, and he said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Genesis 14 pictures the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Melchizedek brought out bread and wine. It's not a coincidence. It just didn't happen by chance. What are the odds? God, who was sovereign and planned all this from eternity past, ordained that Melchizedek would bring out bread and wine. The basis of true worship is righteousness, of Jesus Christ, Melchizedek, my king is righteous. Your king, the Lord Jesus Christ, is righteous. It is his righteousness that is imputed to you and I, to anyone who turns from their sin, repents of their sin, turns to God, and cries out to him for salvation. Christ's perfect righteousness is imputed to you, given to you. 
in your standing before God. The peace, the shalom, Salem, is what you experience when you turn to Jesus Christ and you're born again. Jesus Christ said, peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. Indeed, he is the prince of peace and the bread and the wine. He's given his body and his blood. This is the basis of true worship. Christ's righteousness, the peace that he gives, and his body and his blood. The fulfillment of true worship is Christ. Everything we do that is true worship finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. When you read about Melchizedek in Genesis 14, the fulfillment of that, of Melchizedek, is Jesus Christ. He is the full, full excuse me, fulfillment of all true worship. God says in another passage, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. He says this of Jesus Christ. Christ is the fulfillment. Everything you see by example with Melchizedek in Genesis 14 is to point you to Jesus Christ. True worship is a blessing from God. It's not a duty. It's not a hardship. And Melchizedek he blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abraham. True worship is a blessing from God. It shouldn't be a hardship. It shouldn't be a burden. Oh, no, Sunday morning. I got to get out of bed. Oh, next week. Wow, I lose an hour of sleep. Most people aren't going to be going to bed an hour earlier. They're going to go to bed at their normal time and when the alarm clock goes off, if you have one that, that uh, adjusts automatically for uh, daylight savings time, it's going to go off an hour earlier. If you're anything like me, you're going to feel it. Oh, I got to get up to worship. I only had 11 hours sleep. True worship is a blessing from God. Melchizedek blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram. Brothers and sisters, when we gather and we worship the Lord Jesus Christ, in our own quiet time and devotions at home, when we're praying to him, when we're worshiping him, it's a blessing. It's not a burden. Sometimes when I hear our music ministry and sometimes at home when I'm rejoicing in all of God's glory and goodness, I'm moved to tears. It's not a burden. It's a blessing to contemplate the Lord Jesus Christ, to think about God, to thank God, to praise God and Christ. This is not burdensome at all. This is something I look forward to each day. When I go to sleep at night, I can't wait till the next morning to worship God and Christ 
in devotions. And I hope that's your experience as well. True worship is a blessing from God. It's not intended to be burdensome. It's not to be intended as something that, okay, it's on my bucket list from the day, for the day. Worship God. Okay, done. Cross it out. No, that's not the way it is. We're talking about a relationship, a glorious relationship. We're talking about a love relationship. You know, I, can you imagine how my wife would feel? There it is, uh, day's duty. Uh, tell my wife I love her and give her a quick kiss on the cheek. Okay, done. I mean, you know what she would feel like? Can you imagine that? But do we ever treat God like that? Let me get this out of the way so I can have fun during the day. No, that is the blessing. That should be the greatest joy of our day, worshiping God in Christ. The blessing of worship is tied to relationship. The king of Sodom had no relationship with God Most High. Melchizedek blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High. This is why Abraham was blessed. Because he belonged to God Most High. It wasn't just Melchizedek who was a priest of God Most High, but Abraham belonged to God Most High. He was a faithful servant of God Most High. The blessing of worship is always tied to relationship. If you're a believer in Christ, God is your Father. That is the relationship that you have with him. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, God is not your father. You don't have a relationship with him. You are like the king of Sodom. You're separated from God and Christ. You are dead, according to the scriptures in Ephesians 2, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You can't truly worship God and Christ. I just urge you this morning, if you are counting on anything for your eternal salvation, anything at all, your good works, the money you give to a church, your prayers, your church attendance, uh, what you do for other people, as, as good and right as those things are, they won't earn you salvation. God saves us, according to Paul and Titus, chapter 3, God saves us not on the basis of deeds which we have done, but according to his mercy. It is God's mercy in Jesus Christ and towards you when you turn from your sin and turn to Christ and cry out to him, be merciful to me, a sinner. I, I, I urge you to do that. He will cause you to be born again into his family, to a living hope that you will spend eternity in heaven with God and Christ. Do that, please. Consider it. Talk to God about it. 
Ask him to burden your heart. Give you understanding of the gospel message. Plead with him to save you. And he will. He will not cast you away. The scripture says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The blessing of true worship is Christ himself. It's not just any emotion that might be associated with worship. Never confuse emotion with true worship. Never confuse emotion with spirituality. They're two different things. Emotion is of this earth, this plane. It's of our body. True worship goes vertically to God. Christ is the ultimate blessing of true worship. He became to all, the, all those who obey him. Obedience is a necessary part of it. He became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. The Jews asked Jesus Christ, what may we do that we may work the works of God? In other words, they were asking, what should we obey And Christ said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in Jesus Christ. Christ is the blessing of true worship. It is him. It's not just the salvation, the eternal salvation. It's him. You know, when you read Revelation chapter 5, and you see the redeemed in heaven... What are they doing? They're not patting each other on the back. Oh, I got something for you in here. Oh, an attaboy. You trusted in Christ. You're in heaven. They're not, oh, wow, this is great. We're up. No, what are they doing? They're singing a new song to the Lamb. They're casting their crowns, rewards that Christ himself has given them. They take those rewards and they cast them at Christ's feet. It is all about Christ. It's not about you and I. Christ himself is the ultimate blessing of true worship. And it's all tied to the fact that he is designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. He was righteous. I do always those things that please the Father. His blood was the blood of a lamb without spot and blemish. Our brother Fred read that from 1 Peter when he uh, led us in worship at the Lord's Supper. Christ is our high priest. And this is, an, this is the blessing because he is an eternal high priest because he lives forever. He has to live forever if he's going to be an eternal high priest. Because of that, you and I will live forever. Jesus, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save forever you're not just saved for some time oh I, I sinned in some way I lost my salvation no he saves forever it never ends because he continues forever you are saved forever if you trust in him he's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him why since he always lives to make intercession for them. See, the priesthood was not just about the sacrifice that he did on the cross. Even now, when the accuser 
brings charges against you. That's your child? Look how rebellious he is. Look at the sin. Jesus Christ ever lives and intercedes as high priest. Instead of offering up an animal sacrifice, he pleads his own blood. Father, I shed my blood to wash them from their sins, to save them forever. True worship finds God as the source of blessing. Melchizedek said, blessed be God most high. The Hebrew word for blessing here, the idea behind it is that God is the source of blessing. It's an acknowledgement. It's just the way the Jews phrased it. And blessed be God most high. God is the source of blessings. God most high is the source of blessings is what he's saying there. True worship finds God as the source of blessings. Worship God, not just because he gives you things, not just because he healed you, but worship God for who he is, first and foremost. You know, the words praise and thanksgiving in in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, in Scripture, are often used uh, interchangeably. And the word worship is connected with them. But if there was a distinction to be made, if you had to make a distinction... And it's not always right to make a distinction, but at times you can in a passage. It depends on the passage. Worship is worshiping God for who he is, apart from anything that he's done. It's just who he is, his person. He's your Father in heaven. Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Blessed be God most high. This is apart from anything that he did. Just worship him for who he is. And then worship God for what he has done. Praise has to do with what he's done. It's often used interchangeably with thanksgiving, but if a distinction is to be made, praise is for what he has done. Thanksgiving is for what he's done for you, what you have received, if you had to make a distinction. Worship God for who he is, but then also what he has done. Blessed be God most high. That's worship. Who has delivered your enemies into your hand. What he's done for Abraham. True worship will involve more than words. And Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of all. Worship will involve more than just words at times. In conclusion, we've seen that God is the reason for all of the success in the life of the believer. The victory that was in the first 16 verses is attributed to God. Blessed be God, most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. God is the reason for all of your success. And then God is to be always acknowledged 
for his blessings and given all the glory. Look, if, if you want God to exalt you, if you want God to give you a ministry and build your ministry, never take credit for anything. The, 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 the young men who have discipled with me, that's one of the lessons I cover with them early on in the first or second time we sit down for discipleship. Never take credit for anything. Give all the glory to God. You can't take credit for any talent or ability you have. Before you were conceived, you didn't check off on a, on a checkbox. Uh, uh, I want to be beautiful or handsome. I, I, I want to have this talent or that ability. I want to be smart. You didn't check any of that off. God gave it all. You didn't work for it. Paul says, why do we boast for things that we haven't worked for? He tells the Corinthians that. Always give God all the glory for what he accomplishes in you and through you. And he will exalt you at the proper time. Today, will you begin to acknowledge that God is the source of all blessing in your life? Anything you have, anything you are, anything you can do, God is the source of that blessing. Today, will you begin to never take credit for anything you do for God, but instead give him all the glory? Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you for this passage of Scripture. Oh, dear God, we want to be true worshipers of you, just like our Lord told us that you seek true worshipers. And we thank you that you have sought us out and you have saved us, and you have given us the victory over sin and death and hell because Christ himself won that victory for us. Dear God, would you remind us each day to give you all the glory? Would you be pleased to bless us with a heart filled with worship for you and praise and thanksgiving for you? We ask that you would be pleased to do this so that you might be glorified. We ask all this for your name's sake. Amen.